Thanks for checking out this episode of Business Black Belts. I really appreciate you listening and hope you get some great insights out of today's leader. Let's dive into the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Business Black Belts. I am really excited today to have one of the co-founders and the CEO of SecureTech, Pankit Desayan. Pankit, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Uh, absolutely. And on a Monday morning, no less for both of us. So getting uh, right into the work week. <laughs> yes, it is indeed. Um, so I, I thought just for the audience, I have a little bit of experience uh, in the IT world, having worked at EMC or kind of knowing how EDR and, and some of that stuff works. But I know for the audience, uh, we have a range of business guests and aspiring entrepreneurs, some in tech, some not in tech. So I thought maybe to start, you could just introduce yourself and what you guys do at the company. Sure. So, yeah, so I, I'm the co-founder, CEO of SecureTech. Uh, we are about an eight years, getting onto the ninth year old company with operations in US, Europe, Middle East, Africa, and India. And essentially what we solve is a problem of plenty in security. And you mentioned some names uh, along the way, companies that have done a reasonably good job of ensuring that the company stays safe specifically as they embrace uh, digital transformation. Uh, one of the downsides when you uh, bring technology into your enterprise is the ancillary risk of cybersecurity that may come your way. Now, traditionally, that problem had always been solved by someone having to buy, implement, and manage a bunch of point products. That's how the entire industry got evolved. And today, there are over a hundred different types of security technology. As an example, an antivirus is one technology. A firewall is one technology. Like there, there are a hundred plus different types of technology offered from over 35, 40,000 different vendors all over the world. And if I am an enterprise, barring some of the very large ones in the industry, it is almost impossible for me to figure out what I need, who I should buy it from, how to implement, manage, and run it almost seems like I need to be managing my security and not my business. So we felt that maybe it's a time to take a step back and see if we can change the whole approach from a point product-based thinking to a platform-based thinking and try and bring several different constituents of security onto common platforms and not only deliver it as a product, but a product along with the platform and then a service to run it so that the customer can almost think about outsourcing the security headache to someone and someone like us. And that's where we chose to play. And specifically as it applies to you know, medium, small, medium to high, medium size enterprises. And my first question, like you said, there's 40,000 vendors. So your your market is a fascinating one to me. And, and for your context, we run a marketing company. So we, we do a lot in IT. So I've, I've learned a lot about this space. And one of the things that strikes me about security is the world is never has never been more at risk. I mean, you have the White House saying, you better sure yourself up with everything going on in the world, which very rarely does the White House tell people to go buy a solution. But on the other side, you have just so much noise and fear, uncertainty and doubt. And I think the buyers, from what I can tell, are just massively confused as to what they need or what they should do? Like, what's it like trying to grow a business in that environment? So the biggest problem that we uh, face is this problem of FUD. FUD, by the by, by which I mean is that 
there is you know a there is a lot of confusion lack of information lack of resources on the buying side of the house then there is mm-hmm. this whole bunch of people who are the advisors consultants uh, analysts for lack of a better word who kind of give a point of view around what someone needs to do and then there are this bunch of oems each one clamoring for the customer's attention and between this the fundamental issue of why we are doing what we are doing kind of gets lost and what we try and tell the customer is that before you go down on the journey of you having to buy a bunch of products it is worthwhile for you to take a step back and see and at least ask the question what is it that you are protecting because for every enterprise that is a slightly different answer so if you are a bank the answer is very different than you are a pharma company or an auto ancillary or a media company or an education or a, a healthcare provider the answers vary and based on what you are trying to protect uh you need to figure out what is it that you have already invested in have you sweated it enough before you go and buy the next big shiny gadget and that's what and unfortunately ends up happening today that the race to buy the next big shiny object that more often than not gets poorly implemented executed and then you still have a risk that is unanswered and then you go back to management and say i just bought this product it didn't work for me and but i need to buy one more so in the process is living you know it's it leaves if i may you know a buyer's remorse i am yet to find a customer who feels happy about the security decision that they have made hmm and it's like almost a cycle because the more it happens then the less the management team wants to invest in security and then it just starts to and like you said it just spirals downhill and my my question is is that kind of what drove you to spot an opportunity in the market where you can centralize on one platform because in theory the customer has a little bit more choice versus you just pitching like a very pointed product yeah so i uh, think almost like a con- concept that apple came up with it's apple versus android right so if you were to look at apple it's like my hardware my soft operating systems my play store and i want to in a way say that i know the answers to the question that you're looking for uh, and you consumer you just enjoy the outcome versus you have a plethora of choices you can build your buy your storage from somewhere and you can have a flash card from somewhere and os of different flavor and i mean you need to be very very savvy if you were to do that side of the house and we feel that specifically again in the mid market you do not have the resources both financial as well as human to be able to make those decisions so would you rather be running your security or run your business and have security run by someone who understands that and and therefore that's the play that we make now not every time it works or not every time it is accepted but that's the hypothesis that with which we have built around this company and at least in the mid market we find we are finding a lot of resonance yeah it's it's interesting too because i think you're right that we often especially in technology often think that showing how smart we are matters but the market needs simplicity because to your point just casting a bunch of fud and then saying like oh here's an incredibly complex way to solve it doesn't move people to action absolutely there was a study yeah. uh, miles done 
I was what I, I would hazard I guess maybe six eight months back by a reputed firm, and they said that they surveyed close to about two or three thousand enterprises, and they found some interesting statistics. They most of these companies, seventy percent of the companies had bought about fifty percent overlapping products, so they had a product. And they still brought another one because either the sales guy did a phenomenal job, or the intermediary or a consultant came and told that, "Hey, you have this, but it is not doing X, Y, Z, and therefore you should buy one more." Right? So, seventy percent of the companies having fifty percent overlap product. I mean, it's like a complete waste of resources. About forty percent of the company had almost a third of their products poorly implemented. right so they are not doing what they are supposed to do so just look at the humongous amount of resources that are getting wasted and now you think about it in a mid market company you have limited resources financially and then you get lulled into a false sense of you know complacency that hey i bought this product or a technology and it's going to save me but more often than not it is already doing the work of someone else that is was supposed to do because you already bought that product or you bought it but you poorly implemented it so it doesn't augur well uh to to you know invest and then not see the return and then when you get breached you kind of almost have this feeling that hey you know what what did i do wrong i spent so much money and still not save yeah it's such an interesting space too because you have to invest to protect yourself but there it's not investing like the return is safety it's really keeping the status quo just because you look at the alternative is in some cases you can go out of business it's It's really interesting. So I I want to go back a little bit in your journey. How did it get started for you? I mean, many people would want to be a successful technology entrepreneur like you are. How did you get into technology? How did you decide to build your own business? Maybe you could just walk us through the story. Sure. So uh, so I I I'm a first generation entrepreneur having spent a good almost 25 years in the industry working for companies like IBM, Wipro, NTT. and like a true corporate citizen had a great run but at some point of time miles you start getting this feeling that uh, you know you really do not know if the success is because of you or in spite of you the problem with any large company is that you are given a role and a responsibility and you execute it but you are still executing on someone else's vision right and uh, there is this whole machinery that works with you to kind of get that vision fructified so you really do not know if that vision actually transpired into a reality because of you or it would have happened any which way so that's one part kind of leaving the legacy behind you know so kind of gets this feeling so what happened with me is that uh, i was in the pro reasonably successful and i got a chance for working for a very small uh, it services company they were run by private equity in fact the company was not doing well they were in in losses they had gotten delisted from nasdaq and they had restatement of accounts and everything that could potentially go wrong with the company that went could go wrong had gone wrong with them and they were looking for a new management and there was a whole new ceo and bunch of people that came in and i was hired to run global sales and operations for that company and for the first time i kind of felt like a quasi entrepreneur because it was private equity backed and i was part of the leadership team so you could actually make decisions that fundamentally changed the way the company chose to operate so the market that we chose to go after the services that we decided to offer the the business mix that we wanted to change we could make those decisions and in the 5 years that 
the company ran, we took the market cap of the company for about 40 million ish to about 200 plus million, you know, so 5x uh, growth in market cap in that five year period. And that took for a services company. Uh, it was a good, good achievement. And I could really see how that, I don't know, how the investors made money in the entire process. And we also made a little bit of money through stock options. So that was my first taste with trying to do a set of things on, on, on my own, or at least having a substantial role in making that transformation happen. So at that point of time, when the company, we were able to sell it to a large corporate, and then I had my two-year contract with them, I kind of reached an inflection point saying, now what? And I had a choice of continuing with the company that acquired this IT services company and maybe just be the corporate citizen. That point of time, I kind of said, let me take a step back. I have tasted some amount of blood doing things my way. I really do not want to go back and carry a corporate uh, ID card, so to say. Let me try and see if I can do something different. And by that time, this whole startup and other thing kind of you know, was happening all over. And you know, my partner and I, who was in Semantic at that point of time, a very similar uh, experience that he was going through. We just got talking and we said, you know what, maybe it's time to completely look at security. We had some financial security that we had built in because of the couple of transactions that we had done. So it's okay, financially we are okay. Uh, we have now the experience of taking a company, turning it around and taking it global and making it work. And third, there is a security market that is ripe for potential transformation. Why don't we kind of jump in and see if we can make it work? And it's so interesting how it was in stages for you. I, I came from being at EMC, which was obviously a big company. I worked with my dad, who's an entrepreneur, and then gradually... Uh, made the jump myself. So it was kind of not all at once. And it sounds like it was kind of a similar for you. You started to realize I like this. I'm good at it. I like the ownership and accountability. Like, let's make it happen. Indeed. Yeah. Um, and how's the journey been? How, like how, what, what have been some of the highs and what have been maybe some of the harder parts in, in building the business? If you don't mind sharing. Yeah. yeah. So obviously, you know, when we started out on this journey, we, in the life, in, the, in our wildest dreams, we didn't imagine how it's going to pan out, right? So, you know, you have this vision, so to say, of you know, what that company is going to look like. But, uh, you know, one advantage or disadvantage, if I may, of not having been an entrepreneur is that that vision is limited or unlimited by your own imagination, right? So there's no playbook that we are building yourself towards. So the uh, uh, the uh, advantage that I had was of kind of creating a, a you know taking that not so great a business and turning it around, and we felt that maybe we could kind of take it, replicate, build something that could you know, potentially you know, take it to a very different league altogether. And what we realized very quickly is that when you come from a corporate world to an, being an entrepreneur is that a lot of things that you're given as, you know, whether it is a structure or a process or the ability to hire a team or attract talent is just not there. So you're building from scratch and right from day one, you start realizing that there are a set of roadblocks that you have to overcome. So for us, first and foremost, we were in a security business and security goes with trust. Now, who's going to give the keys to their organization from a security perspective, a complete a nobody, right? You, you don't have a standing in the market. So why would they trust you day one to doing some of the most critical tasks? So, you know, 
while while you know on paper everything looks nice but when you actually speak to the first customer is when you start seeing the roadblock saying that hey that story may not pan out the way you are you are panning it out to be same thing with hiring talent now the talent has a lot of choices they can work for an ibm or an accenture or a semantic or anywhere else why should they come and work with you uh, same thing with investors so there is a, a, a roadmap or a business plan that you create on a piece of paper it's just, the first road first thing that you will realize when you go off on this journey is that a lot of that hypothesis doesn't pan out to be what it is conversely you will get support from places that you had never imagined which is the other flip side right so um, i had my classmates who reached out to me with proposals for investment i never i never volunteered i never asked of it but they felt that you know there was an idea worth backing there were a few of our old relationships that we had in our corporate world uh, we had gone to them for an advice on you know we had kind of planned out some thought process we wanted to kind of validate it saying that would they be willing to work with us on that um, and instead of you know advice they said okay why don't i cut your first check okay, i'll give you a small order why don't you execute you can use my name as a reference and kind of build out of it so so you which that was not what we had baked into our business plan like right? these are things that came up in a very different way so what i'm essentially trying to say is that when you go out on this entrepreneurial journey the starting hypothesis may not really pan out and you may actually get completely different sets of opportunities or uh, ideas that you would not have baked so it works on both sides mm-hmm. i love what jim collins says he calls it return on luck where it's like no one has a disproportionate amount over time of good or bad luck. It's really what you do with those twists and turns because it is going to be different than you expected. Um, and if you can capitalize on those differences and to your point, have the initiative and willingness and belief in yourself, that um, pays off. So I'm curious for you, you've obviously made that shift where from a passion perspective, you love having a little bit more control and ability to influence things and take ownership. But there's also, I'm sure, some amount of questing, uh, whether it's a legacy, an impact, a certain goal to provide for your family or or whatever it might be that drives you to, frankly, have a much harder day-to-day job than if you were working inside the, the large behemoth often. So I'm curious, what is that for you? What are you chasing? So, uh, a couple things, if I may. Um, mm-hmm. If at, at a broad level, if we can fundamentally shift the way security is perceived in the market space, and by which I mean is that security essentially is being viewed through a combination of fear, threat, extortion in that realm, right? If you were to look at it, how you sell security is generally through fear. If you don't spend, you will have the attack. If you don't comply, you will have a regulator over your head. Or by the way, there's a ransomware attack and someone is going to steal money, right? So it is typically, most security messages revolve around that. And nothing wrong with it from a from a seller's perspective, but very bad from a buyer's perspective. You're almost putting a gun on someone's head and saying that you better invest or else, right? If we, through our course of journey, and I don't know where life will take us, but a few years from now, we become reasonably relevant in the market space 
and if you were to be let's say perceived as an enabler to the business versus a, a roadblock to business because the way security operates miles in a company is by saying no the security leadership in a company will always say no can i do something like no can i change a policy no because that's how you know when you change something it creates an ancillary security risk versus if they were to be considered as an enabler and i always give this example that you know think about what is the function of the brake in a car and if you ask that question people will say that the function of the brake in the car is to stop the car or slow the car but i beg to differ think about it if you did not have the brake in the car do you think you would ever be able to drive the car or for that matter would you be able to drive the car at 150 miles an hour because you just can't risk because if someone just suddenly comes on the road you're going to have an accident so security is that way is that brake for your enterprise security essentially allows the companies to fly to transform to grow because there is someone watching behind you to ensure that you will always be safe in running your business so if you ask me the big picture a few years from now as we become relevant as security becomes you know more concerning and more more needed if we could leave a mark saying that hey here was this company that did not sell on fear did not prey on our or or through threats but essentially worked with us to ensure that they were an enabler to our business that would be a great take away for us i mean that would be something that i would be very very happy with second uh-huh. if i could somehow get the younger generation interested you know so you know I, i'm sure you are following it but as it is engineering and computer science is while it's the most prevalent uh, uh, engineering field they are not the most sought after field for the younger generation they are basically wanting to go to arts and you know from podcasting to a bunch of other stuff but not tech if we can get people enthralled about security and be part of that ecosystem and and today we are proud to say that of the 450 people we are probably you know every year let's say we hire about 150 people 70 80% of them are fresh graduates and we have a mechanism by which we can make them security professionals in flat four weeks and we i first i i have a feeling and i believe that we have been able to create a good you know uh, profile of security resources in the market space so if we can get that to that that would be a second thing now basically third would be obviously you know you make a company financially you become stable and we do well the family kind of gets taken care of but the first part is what which is what i said enabler to the business if we can get that that would be great and i did have a question kind of off of what you said is is the best case scenario that vendors like securetech that are doing things the right way become so good at this that almost the makeup of humans ability to hurt each other goes away and what i mean by that is like in america we don't have nearly the crime issues that other countries have because we have such a strong police force so people yep. are aware of the consequences and they often don't do behaviors they might do in other countries because they can't get away with them and it feels like if you really lived out your vision humans would behave better towards each other and we would actually see a more peaceful or kind world because the ROI quote unquote of hacking would go down because 
you'd have so much talent and orchestration. Is that is that a fair statement in terms of how you think about it? Absolutely. That would be, you know, there is a, a world in which, as, I, as they say in security, you have to make it difficult enough for an attacker to come in. You can't prevent every single attack coming to your place or you can't plug every single hole or you can't invest disproportionately in an environment to create such high and tall and strong fences that no one can come in. But you can make it difficult enough for someone to really go after it. Very similar to, you know, so, so while the US has a very strong, uh, you know, security, physical security ecosystem, it is, you know, it's not that in every street and corner you have a cop car standing. You don't need that. But you know, Mm-hmm. That it's just a phone call away. A 911 guarantees a response in less than a minute. Right? So, mm-hmm. it, it therefore is a, is a factor of dissuasion to the criminals. And if you can make it that much difficult for someone to come and go after enterprises, specifically in the mid-market, because as it is, they have limited talent and they are a much easy target. If you can make it difficult enough that the ROI of going after it is not worth it, that just on by its own will reduce the number of security incidents. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's such a great question. So my last question for you is what books, if any, have made a big difference for you? If someone wanted to be an entrepreneur or wanted to learn more about security in the world that you're an expert in, are there any you'd recommend that they read? So, uh, more than books, uh, I follow podcasts. I, I really enjoy listening to anything to do with business I mean, as simple as marketplace from NPR I every day without fail would clue in just to get a feel of what's happening around you and again I'm saying that from a business point of view so if I were to go and talk to a customer I need to understand the business that they are in and the impact that the global economy is making to that business. Because if I cannot speak that language as an entrepreneur, albeit a tech entrepreneur, the affinity that I can build with them is not just going to be there, right? So yes, you will read books and I, you know, for me, uh, I prefer you know, Bill Gates and, you know, uh, and a bunch of books that he's written or what articles and Warren Buffett writes. So follow those. but. I would always say as an entrepreneur, if you can be as aware of the surround ecosystem, that's what you will get. You will give you the edge when you speak to the customer because then that is grounded in a conversation that impacts his day-to-day life. So today, if you're talking about, if I was to go to a manufacturing company, I better be aware of the supply chain issues and how the global supply chain problem is creating or pushing them to accept technology that they would not have done, which in turn can be a potential security risk or the fact that a lot of security attacks today are supply chain driven. So being able to have that conversation ties in back to the business that they are into and gives me that put in the door that I would otherwise not have gotten because otherwise I would have just spoken about three letter complicated technology acronyms, which may or may not find resonance in that conversation. Yeah, I think you bring up a great point that the future of companies that win is the and probably the marketing and sales vein that you and I both are uh, enthusiasts of is you really are going to have to get where you're adding value to the customer 
on area, like you said, like what other people are doing, new ways of doing things that has to be uniquely different because I think in your space, it feels like there's a lot of people just set like shoveling product, like you'd say, but not bringing that level of insights. And they're wanting to compete on price or, but they're kind of me too. And I, it almost seems like the price to play is to be more like a Bain consultant that can really speak to all these issues and then kind of earns the right to ultimately be the vendor. And it's interesting to hear you say that because I've heard a lot of people just in general talking about that in the sales world. Yeah, I mean, think about it, right? So, I mean, you can't compete with a, I'm just saying, example, a Cisco or an IBM on feature functionality. Right? They will always, if, you, if they don't have it today, they'll have it tomorrow. Right? It's a perennial game of chasing a feature functionality. But a customer actually doesn't buy feature functionality. They buy outcomes. Uh-huh. Right? And outcome is always centered around business. Right? So if I can give the visibility. So let's say when I create a, a CISO dashboard, which is a technical a chief information security officer dashboard, ideally it could have been a just bunch of bits and bytes. But when I weave in business elements to it, when the same CISO then takes a dashboard and talks to his management, he seems and he looks that much more intelligent because he's not talking to the CEO who has probably no clue about technology in a language that he will never understand. He'll speak in the language a CEO understands because it is viewed in such a way that he can relate to it, right? So we have to be that enabler is what my, at least my personal belief is. Right or wrong, time will tell, but at least that's how we have thought about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think you're right. It's the, the dashboard is commoditized by and large. What's not commoditized is how to make decisions and how to build processes and how to customize. And that's where vendors that are willing to go the extra mile like you uh, are going to win because security is an awfully hard problem to solve. It's not like solving it today with technology doesn't guarantee it's solved tomorrow. Yep. Um, and it's kind of the type of thing where it's one strike and you're out in big businesses. I mean, you look at um, like a Solar Winds or an Equifax, or I'd imagine the people that were CISOs there at the time are, are probably kind of permanently going to struggle with that. Not be, not that that's fair, but it j- just in the sense that uh, people really, the expectation in these large companies is that that shouldn't happen. Yeah. And so it's, it is a lot of pressure and you need partners that are willing to carry that with you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and that's, that's our aim that I mean, it's almost like think security, think secure tech or on a different way. If you have a problem, uh, more often than not, I am the one telling you that's a problem versus you actually figuring out it as a problem. So I'm the one who's proactively pointing it out to say, Hey, we have an issue. Let's work towards resolving versus you finding it. So we can always stay ahead of the issue and not just play you know, behind it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's a great point. Well, I really appreciate your insight there. Just in general, I, we'll, we'll certainly be rooting for you guys going forward. I did want to ask you if anyone hears this and wants to reach out to you to be a customer, to resell Secure Tech, to join your team, is LinkedIn an okay way to reach you? Absolutely. We are fairly active on LinkedIn. Uh, we have a very good following and we post a lot of content. Uh, and especially, we have a threat advisory that we issue every week that is contextual to what's happening in the industry at this point of time. Uh, customers or prospects can subscribe to it. Uh, there's no charge attached to it. It just helps them understand what are the new types of attacks that are happening and what is it they can do from their side to fix those. 
Well, absolutely. Well, th thank you so much for mentioning that. And yeah, thanks again for coming on our show. We're, we're excited to have you on again in the future. Thank you so much, Miles. Pleasure. And thanks again for listening to today's episode of Business Black Belts. Should you want to see more content on both the show, marketing, and business in general, feel free to check out my LinkedIn. Thanks.